if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis, the first book in your Bible, the first chapter of the Bible. We're going to be reading from that in a little bit. Um, And if you have that and you want to put a bookmark in it, you can also go to uh, John chapter 1 as well, because we're going to be reading from that in a little bit also. Um, but today we're, 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 we're continuing on in this Advent series we've been doing where we've been focusing on um, just the, the extraordinary gift that we have in Christ, how he perfectly meets what we need. And we talked last week about how he was the perfect priest, and he was the perfect priest because he wasn't just the priest administering sacrifices on behalf of the people like all those who had come before him, but he was the perfect sacrifice. Today we're talking about Jesus in the role of, of prophet, and, uh, and how he wasn't just a prophet who came bringing a message about God, but he was the message that all the prophets before him had been talking about. So, so Jesus is the prophet who becomes the word of God. These offices, prophet, priest, and king, are these offices that God gave, I'm using the word offices in a very formal way. You guys, you know that about me by now, right? That I have this thing I do where I use some formal language sometimes. I hope that doesn't scare anybody, and I, I certainly hope it doesn't leave anybody in the dust, but the, these, are, these are offices that God gives his people. He gives them these folks who would come, these priests who would, who would be mediators, who would sacrifice on behalf of the people, and, 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 and God's atonement would, would cover them, and he sends these prophets who would speak his words, and when you think about that, when you think about God sending prophets so that the people would hear what God has to say to them, there's something profoundly broken, isn't there, in the need for that? Because what we're hearing in that, in the fact that God raises up prophets to speak, is that we don't hear God in the way we're supposed to. There's something broken in the lines of communication between what we hear and what God means for us to understand. And so he raises up in the Old Testament these prophets to come and speak his words with authority and clarity. And we're gonna unpack how Jesus is what they were talking about, all of them, that he is the message of God's redemption. But to get at that, I wanna ask an absurdly huge question. As we talk about prophets, as we talk about God speaking to his people, And the question is this. I'm even a little embarrassed to articulate it. What's the point of life? And I ask you that question because I know that every one of us in this room, whether we've articulated that in a, in, a, in a clear way or not for ourselves. We all have thoughts on that. We have the things that we're working toward that we believe give life meaning and that will tell the best story and will be the things that at the end of our days we'll stand back and we'll look at our lives and we'll say that, that was a life well lived or that was a catastrophe. We have our thoughts on this, right? To prime the pump to get us thinking about this, I want to spend time just listening to a song from the 80s from one of the greatest songwriters, I think, of, of our generation. Is that ready, Matt? Springsteen. I'm just now appreciating that songwriter, and one of the reasons I am is because I grew up with that song on Top 40 Radio, right? That and another song called Dancing in the Dark. And I gotta tell you, 
Just those two? Yeah, it's some other song, blah, blah, blah. But those two stand out to me as songs that have this, they're these, they're these straight-ahead pop songs that are just widely accessible, and they are so profoundly sad, what he's saying. I mean, it's just amazing. Mary Chapin Carpenter did a version of Dancing in the Dark with just an acoustic guitar, brought it down way slow, minor key, and it just changes. It brings home, and it's so, it just impacts me so much, this idea of the major key sound in, with the minor key themes underneath it. But this song, when I listen to this song, there's something in me, and I believe in you, that resonates with this fear that what if, what if my best days and your best days are behind us now? I mean, the scenarios that he presents in that song, being at your athletic prime, being at the peak of your physical beauty, and those things being in the past now, what if that is the story of your life? Do any of you have glory days? Days that you look back on and you think, those were the best. That's when I crested and everything else has kind of been downhill. Do you fear that those days are coming when you will reach a point in your life when you will say, the best part of my life is done. That's an ironic song, the way that he sings it with this pop energy, and yet it's about such a sad thing of boring stories of glory days that have passed by. This is important for us to understand and to think about because all of us in the room, in this room, have the potential to be people who say, I have glory days, I know when they were, and they're done. It's a familiar story, opportunities that you miss, or that you squander, or failings, or the one that got away. Do any of you have the one that got away, the love, the opportunity that came and went, and you know, you know you can't, you can't get it back. Or the things beyond even our control, injury, illness, things that shut us down from pursuing the thing that we want so much and you lose that capacity to live the thing that you've dreamed your whole life of doing. These are huge questions to talk about because we're getting at the heart of what makes a life valuable, what makes a life a life well lived? What gives a life meaning and how do I know that my best days aren't behind me? And the answer to this question in a profound way is found in the opening chapter of the Bible in Genesis 1 when God is making mankind. And I just want you to hear this. It's probably gonna be familiar for some of you. Let's unpack what scripture is telling us about who we are right now in this room. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creation that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, and in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. What does this text tell us about a life well lived? 
Here's what it tells us. It tells us that human beings, unlike anything else in all of creation, was made in a very distinct and special way. We were made in the image and likeness of God, unlike anything else, that God sets every other living thing underneath the authority and the rule of man, and he says, I'm doing this because I'm making them like me. The implication for this is you were made and I was made for a relationship with God that was so intimate and so special that Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We're getting into something that's very profound and deep. If there ever were glory days in scripture, they were these days. Genesis 3.8 alludes to the fact that Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, they walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day in unhindered fellowship and face-to-face relationship with him. Think about that while the siren goes by. Think about that. What scripture is telling us is your greatest, greatest, greatest fundamental need is for an unhindered, face-to-face, intimate, right relationship with the maker and lover of your soul. Above everything else, above all the wild success you could have in your life, above all the achievements that you could make, above all the relationships and friendships you can build, all the children you can have, the health of your family, above all of that, is you were made, you were made for a relationship with the one who made you. A face-to-face open, right, restored relationship. It's not just something that you need, it's the greatest thing you need. And without it, can we possibly understand how profoundly broken we are? The reason Springsteen sings about glory days and the reason that we nod in understanding when we hear it is because we understand deep down that there's a way that things are supposed to be. There's a way things are supposed to be. And we also understand that they're not that way. Things are not the way that they're meant to be. They're not the way that they're supposed to be. Things are broken. This world and the business of living in it is something that is broken. And so when the ball player fails to crack the big leagues, he wonders, did I miss it? Have I crested? Are the glory days now gone? But see, here's the thing. You can have a million fans a million people who love you for what you do. But it pales in comparison to being loved by the one who made you who you are. Do you see the difference there? That there's, I mean, we see this, right? We see celebrities who are known around the world, famous, and by all appearances are miserable people. Receiving the love of a million strangers is exceedingly less intimate than loving the one who made you like him, who made you in his image. This scripture in Genesis tells us that God's crowning work of creation was you. That his crowning work in everything that he made was when he made people that he made us in his image, that he made us for a relationship with him that is distinct. 
and our need to be restored to him because of the sin and the brokenness in you and in me is so profound. It is our most desperate need. And so what does God do? He sends prophets. All throughout the Old Testament, he sends prophets. And the sound of their coming, their footsteps, is the sound of sin and redemption, sin and redemption, sin and redemption. This is the message that they bring. They come to tell people, your relationship with God is broken because of you, because of your sin. And God is working to make that relationship right. God will redeem and he will restore. And that's the message essentially, of every prophet that you find in the Old Testament coming to the people of God is he is addressing some part of their profound brokenness and some part of God's profound devotion and commitment to keep them and love them and never leave them and never forsake them and redeem them. It's amazing. But here's the thing. All they are is messengers. They bring the message of atonement, of salvation, of redemption, but none of them accomplish the message that they bring. None of them accomplish that redemption. None of them accomplish that salvation. None of them accomplish that atonement. So what was their purpose? It was to reveal what wasn't being seen. It was to proclaim what wasn't being heard or understood. And so I ask you this question. Do you need a prophet in your life to understand God? Are you understanding him fine just on your own. We live in a world that really kicks against this idea that you need to have a relationship with God. It tells you all you need to do is be the best you that you can be. But in our most honest moments, is that satisfying to you? To self-actualize, to become the best you that you can be? And I would say no, it's not possible for it to be satisfying deep down. And the reason it's not is because you weren't made to have a perfectly unhindered face-to-face relationship with yourself, ultimately. You were made for a relationship with the one who created you in his image. Friedrich Nietzsche, philosopher, atheist, said this, There comes a point when you have to say of Beethoven, even of Mozart, is that all there is? That's an atheist talking, recognizing the most glorious beauty that he could access in this world. You still look at it and you say, yeah, but is that it? Is that it? At Christmas, We celebrate the birth of a prophet who is unlike any prophet before him in the most important of ways because he didn't just come proclaiming you're broken in your relationship with God and God is committed to redeeming and restoring you. He came saying, you're broken in your relationship with your God and I will redeem and restore you. I will do this. How? By living the life that we fail to live a life of perfect righteousness. We haven't done it, but he has. And then dying a sinner's death, dying in our place, dying in the place of the ones who offend and distance and rebel against God. The Apostle John opening his gospel. This is from John 1, 
1, he says this about Jesus, talking about the prophet being the word of God, that Jesus isn't just a prophet, but he is the message himself. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made that is made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, this Jesus that I'm writing about, he's not just the messenger, he's the message. But Jesus himself, you know, people tell you, right, that Jesus was a great motivational speaker, a great inspirational speaker, and people will even say that Jesus' message, that Jesus' point was to say, just try to be as good a person as you can be. You're not gonna find that in the Gospels. You're not gonna find that message from Jesus in the Gospel of him just telling you to self-actualize. What you're gonna find in the Gospel is Jesus saying, that's not it at all. What does he say about himself? Talking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? This is radical. You believe in God? Believe also in me. No other prophet had ever said that. And then he goes on to say, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there, if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me and you will also be where I am. You know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, he says, you do know him, and you've seen him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you believe in God, believe in me like that. That's amazing. He says, I'm the way to him. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. He even says, you don't think you've seen the Father, but you have because you've seen me. These divinity claims, he's claiming to be God. And he's claiming to be the only way to a right relationship with him. Jesus believes he's more than the messenger, that he is the message, that he is God's plan to redeem. So we resonate. We resonate with the idea of glory days. And I want to tell you why. Because we resonate with the idea of glory. That's built into us. This idea that we we understand that there is such a thing as glory. Your life is happening right now. These are the the days that the Lord has ordained for you to live. They're happening now. This is it. God has put you here in this time, in this place, and we're a people who gather together to celebrate Christmas, and why? What is the message of this holiday? It is that here and now, God has met my deepest need in his son. He's given me a savior. He is, as John the Baptist described him, the lamb of God who takes away, takes away 
the sin of the world. He's the one who would pay the wage of your sin by dying in your place. He's the one who would restore you to the relationship that you are made to know and enjoy forever with the maker and lover of your soul. What I'm telling you right now is the gospel. That you need a relationship with God and at Christmas we celebrate that God has made the way perfect. That he has accomplished our redemption and our salvation. You were made for glory You were made to walk in unhindered fellowship with the maker and lover of your soul. For centuries, prophets would come and the footsteps of sin and redemption, sin and redemption, sin and redemption, and they would proclaim this as a coming promise. God will do this. And then in Bethlehem, 2,000 some odd years ago, that promise was kept in Christ, who was the message of every prophet before him. He took all the future tense promises and put them in the present tense for us now. If your faith is in him, your glory days are ahead of you. When this vapor of a life as rich and as wonderful and as fun as it can be, is over, all you will know will be an eternity of uninterrupted glory days. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. This prophet who came preaching the good news of how man would be put right finally with God and then he did that by offering himself up for us. Hallelujah. Pray with me. Lord, protect our hearts from mere sentimentality during the holidays, holy days, days where we celebrate that you are living and active in this world. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son who unlike every prophet before him, didn't just come proclaiming that there would be atonement, that there would be redemption, that there would be salvation, but that he came and accomplished all that, that he was the message himself. Father, thank you for this incredible gift. We pray that you would continue to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the glory of what we have found in him. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, and for your glory. Amen. Amen.